I want to thank my sponsor, Viva. Viva, thank you so much for making this show possible. Viva is here to change the game. They have electronic regulatory documents for sites for free with no commitment, no contract. I just signed up my site, Yuma Clinical Trials. No contract needed, nothing signed. They they just approve your email address and that's it. You're up and running with an electronic regulatory system, which is a great way if you haven't gotten into electronic anything yet. You need to consider it. It's it's free. Over 450 sponsors are using Viva for their backend stuff. Electronic signatures here, electronic uh, delegation of authorities log, all for free. Viva is going to keep giving sites free stuff because they're very site-centric. They they know that if they help empower the sites, even more sponsors are going to use their paid products on their end. They are the sponsors after all, so they pay for things. And they understand that making sites take control of their electronic systems is a huge first step. It's a huge commitment for sites, even for something that's free. And they're here to make it easy, and they're playing the long game. And anyways, go check it out underneath the video or the show notes below. Viva Site Vault. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Clinical Trials Guru podcast, YouTube. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Thank you to the sponsor, Viva. Uh, Viva Site Vault. Carrie, you're a CTM. Have you used Viva? I have. I didn't realize they were one of your sponsors. I definitely have used them as a e-source platform and a live source platform. So that was a big adjustment for us. I actually discovered them during COVID. Uh, that's okay. when we first used them during COVID trials. Uh, they were fun. Um, it was a decentralized trial too. So we were on the grounds. Mm -hmm. They're considered mobile trials. So Viva was a big help in us being, being able to get into these mobile trials and conducted trials at patient sites versus them coming to us because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it was really helpful for us. Yeah, they kind of became, started becoming household name for sites um, during COVID. They've been a household name for sponsors and CROs forever, uh, but they have e-reg now. They're giving out e-reg to sites for free. Uh, yeah. Sites.viva.com. If you haven't switched to e-reg, you can do so. The link is underneath this video or in the show notes. Completely free. You can put your ISF there. They have digital delegation logs, digital signatures for anything. They are accepted. I'm dealing with sponsors and CROs on a daily basis, trying to talk to them about this. So thank you, Viva, for being a sponsor. Carrie Castellon, she's a CTM at Care Access, which is a clinical trial manager. Uh, she took the path of CRC to get there prior to CRC. She was a medical assistant. So, you know, on this channel, especially on the TikToks, we talk a lot about MAs and how MAs can get into research. And I I think clinical research is not very well understood for MAs, CNAs, farm techs, international medical graduates, basically anyone. But Carrie, people don't realize that the career is so attainable in research. I mean, you're a CTM in a relatively short period of time. And I just want to talk about kind of how you did that. Because before you were the MA and an MA supervisor, you were a medical administrator uh, yes. for a 
foot care clinic. Yes. So kind of talk to us about how you discovered clinical research and then kind of what your background is, what your education is, things like that. Yeah. So um, I started off as a medical assistant. I went into medical assistant school. I decided to do a tech degree because I was unsure where I wanted to go with my path. Um, and then ultimately, I ended up getting a degree in um, psychology. Uh, with that said, as a medical assistant, I managed different types of levels of doctors. Um, and I think it was about five years into my career as an MA that I, I was sort of, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, there's so much that I can grow in somewhere else. So I discovered a clinic that also had trials. And it kind of fell in my lap. And at the beginning, I wasn't sure that I was doing clinical trials. I was just assisting as an MA. Like you stated, they're not very clear of the path into getting into clinical trials. And I was meeting with CRAs and they were really liking the way that I was collecting the data and they were explaining to me. And it was actually a CRA from PPD that told me you should be a coordinator. This is going to bring you more money and you're going to grow. From from where did the, um, so how did the CRA actually like have interactions with you? So I would be, I would bring her the binders. I was uh -huh. put down on the DOA as a coordinator, but that was not what I was explained. Not to say uh -huh. that this was wrong. It's just, uh, it was a different format. I was still medical assistant. Uh, so I would meet with them. They would queue in my binders. I would do um, SQVs, uh, IMVs, monitoring visits. And then I just started growing from there. Honestly, my growth came from the CRAs. Someone thought that I had the potential and they pushed me forward. And I applied for a clinic. It was actually Sadic Dermatology. I applied for them to be a full-time coordinator instead of dabbling between MA and CRC. And I got it. And how did you I find out today. about how did you find out about that site? Because a lot of people, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe like they know about research. You got lucky because like a CRA basically kind of explained it to you. But how did you find that clinic? that actually hired you? Because it wasn't the clinic that you were working at that gave you the first chance, no. right? They they put, they put threw the coordinator work at me, yes. It was a Z Polar, and so I was sort of like their senior coordinator, but I was also an MA on off days where there were no patients. So I had two, two roles, and I, I wanted out of that, which is fair. Um, so he actually knew the PI that I applied for. So when I brought it up to him, I said, I want to grow, and he said, I don't have any more trials for you. But I can I can recommend you to Dr. Sadik, which is where I applied, and I got in. They had worked before on some trials. Um, this is Manhattan. It's easier in Manhattan. Word of mouth. Clinical trial clinics are maybe four blocks away from each other most of the time, so it's easier to find someone. It's easier to get in, and then after that, I found Care Access, which is a DRO. We do decentralized clinical trials. The beauty of them is that they were a startup, so I was able to come in as a site lead, uh, clinical operations. I had my own site. I helped build that site up. I helped bring the pipelines of trials, and we created our own database. Like We started from zero. We had no patients. So that's where you became CTM. Yes. Um, from the coordinator to CTM, you did like, so January 2017, you on your LinkedIn, it's when you first started the CRC, even though you weren't sure that that's what you were actually doing. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until the CRA told you, hey, you know, you'd make a good, ultimately, you'd make a good researcher, you'd make a good coordinator. She probably didn't think CTM that quickly, 
like a lot of people would say, okay, yeah, carry like CTM is a career opportunity, but to to see that you got it so quickly, I mean, you got it in May 2021. Yes. You so you went from lead CRC uh the clinical to trial manager. Clinical yes. trial manager. Yes. And how did you even like find out about that position with Care Access um, and then how did you apply? Yes. So just a small background on Care Access. They they are a startup company. With that said, um, there's a lot of different roles that are being developed. So we had our VP come in December, a new VP come in December 2020. That's when the company started growing because we had more recognition from bigger sponsors like Eli Lilly, Pfizer, Janssen, and so forth because we did COVID-19 trials. That's where we grew. Okay. Our revenue came about. Uh, and then we they started hiring a VP. And I think around May, she put a meeting on my calendar and I'm like, uh-oh. And she said, I want to grow clinical trial managers in the company. I want to start that department. And I'm one of the five first CTMs. So I'm also helping develop that department within our company. Wow. So you're, and you're currently still with the startup? I actually left. Uh, my last uh, day was in December. Oh, so I do okay. have to update my LinkedIn. Yes, I do have to update my day LinkedIn. I'm actually I going see. back to school and getting a, MBA in pharma innovation, which will help me more on the business side of clinical research. Oh, okay. So your your goal for this career, because you progressed like relatively quickly from MA to CRC to CTM. Now you're getting your MBA. Actually, we'll get into your goals in a little bit, but do you think as an MA that, that the, the bachelor's degree is often a requirement, not for CRC, but it's often a requirement for CRA, certainly for CTM. Yes. Do you think you could have gotten that same position if you didn't have that bachelor's degree? No. No. I would not have been um, an option for where they want us. And, you know, I think um, even in associates, maybe in business, I have seen that very sporadically. You have seen that. Yeah, but it has to be a concentration in business. So when you're in CTM, and I remember joking this with the VP, I was like, I'm switching my head from clinical assessments now to business analytics. Like now I have to think as a project manager, um, you know, so I think taking small courses and project managing does help. I did study for the certified associate project management to help me better understand what a CTM does. Because as much as I want to step in, I cannot execute what I'm asking someone to deliver, which is where you have to make the switch in your brain, I think, personally, starting from a clinical perspective, right? So I'm capable of drawing blood, but now I have to make sure that it's being done. So it's a whole mind shift there. So do you think for MAs, like, let's say an MA that discovers clinical research? Yes. Um, do you would, and they want a career beyond the site level because at the site level you can pretty much work without a degree uh, but beyond that if you want to work at a CRO a sponsor a startup tech vendor like you did in any position of leadership you kind of have to have an advanced degree of some sort yes I think um, essentially when you're trying to move up you know, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not at a C-suite level, but when you're trying to climb the ladder, I think showing that you're investing in your education shows that you'll invest in their company. 
I think that's one of the biggest key takeaways from that. Showing that you'll, and that's, so now you're going, you're getting your MBA. Yes. And are you working at the same time anywhere or are you just going to school? Right now, I think because, uh, like I stated, I'm a psychology major. I think uh, business MBA, I'm taking some time off. So I'm trying to take at least the first quarter off and definitely I'm applying elsewhere. Okay. But Okay. yeah. So what, once you get, can you explain, maybe it's not the case for you, but Can you explain once you put CTM as your title on LinkedIn and you have it Yes. for longer than a year, which you do, um, Yes. are you getting, I mean, you have actually CTM for three years on your LinkedIn profile and on your resume. Do you, are you get constantly getting hit up by recruiters Yes. asking you to switch over to them and like how often just to give people an idea how often are you getting reached out to do you have your resume out on any job boards or is it strictly linkedin and then just to give people an idea because once you're in the industry i think you become a very desired uh person i don't want to say product or commodity but that's kind of like what we are anyways I want to give people an idea because you can go from like nothing as far as opportunities within a year to constantly getting bombarded. Yeah, no, definitely. I think when I first started applying with LinkedIn, it was back in ooh, 2017, I want to say, no, 2015, 2015. And it was new, relatively new concept platform. I maybe got two or three and like recruiters every other month. But now I'm getting, I'm getting like random phone calls every other day from recruiters. Every other day. Yes, yes, which... To be honest with you, like to go back as a medical assistant, I felt stuck. I remember the feeling. I remember Yeah. feeling like this is it for me. Uh, we do a lot of work, uh, maybe not rewarded the same way. And it's always considered an entry level job um, when in essence, as you grow, it shouldn't be. But again, can't change that. But now, yes, it does feel nice to have those um, that experience and being able to have recruiters call me on a daily or every other day. And what do you think, what are you telling them, like, or how are they reacting when you're saying, hey, right now I'm getting my MBA, um, I'm not looking for positions, or are, are you actually open to I'm role? open to something that I think that I could balance, but like, you know, the first quarter will be done in another two months. I think by then it's nice to start now. Um, I have noticed when I was a medical assistant, you could get a job within two weeks. Now, when you're a coordinator, you can get a job within a month. The higher up, I think you go a bit, and I hate using the word high up, but the more you climb the ladder, it, you, you're evaluating different things. You know, there's pay, there's uh, work-life balance, there's also like your bonus structures and so forth. Um, so it takes longer. So I think putting my foot out right now will prepare me for a better position. It makes sense. The The more complex the role, the less, I guess, the more specialized the role, the less of a commodity the role is. Because let's face it, like MAs, CNAs, I mean, they're pumping them out constantly, these schools. You know, there's there's no shortage of MAs, CNAs. We actually need more. So that's a good thing that we have them. But if you're if you're looking for a medical assistant position, you could probably get hired same day 
and start working the next day in most clinics. I work at a clinic where they hire MAs and, you know, they start working the next day because it's like universal. You draw blood, you do vitals. It does. You don't need to be trained necessarily. CRC requires a little more training. Like our CRCs, we hired them brand new with no previous research experience. It takes about three months till I could leave them alone. CRA, it's unheard of to hire a CRA without some kind of research experience. Yeah. The CTM, even more so because you need to be involved in the business aspects, like you said. So it does make sense. I like how you broke that down. So for the roles you're considering, a realistic start time would be, hey, let's talk now. But like one to three months is probably like realistic for when I would actually get started with the day-to-day functions of of the job. Yes, for sure. Um, I have a question for you. So do you hire MAs um, to be CRC? Yeah, I actually do. So we have no choice. So I have a CRC Academy. So I have the benefit of like whoever I hire, I could put through our Academy for free. They don't have to pay. Um, I mean, that's, we believe in it. Like we created it for sites to hire research naive so that they can put them through the course. We teach everything like from the recruitment to getting studies to dealing with monitors. So yeah, the two, I have three coordinators now. Um, We just hired our third one last week. She actually has, she's the only one of of the three who had some experience um, as a patient recruiter for UC San Diego. Um, But she was a, she is an MA. And then the other the other one is a CNA uh, who hasn't had any previous experience. She's been with us for seven months. And then the second one I hired, she actually doesn't have MA or CNA experience. She actually has a bachelor's degree. So, yeah, we mm-hmm. would hire MAs, um, CNAs all the time. I think they make, if you get the right one, however, uh, it's not just any MA or CNA. There's some that thrive in private practice settings and then yes. there's some that would thrive in a research setting and it, yes it's not all of them yes i agree with that i think once i discover clinical research um i found my path and my passion and i kept growing i don't think i would have found that if i stayed as a medical assistant i felt pretty stuck because um, mm-hmm. you're limited to what you can do right you do what you do and that's pretty much it and some companies invest in your growth and some don't so. Well, what do you say to those MA? I don't know what the your coordinator workload was, um, but MAs, traditional MAs in a private practice setting, they're used to like 30 patients a day for them, right? Like they're just yeah. cranking them out. Next one, let's weigh them. Let's do their vitals, pass them on to the provider and get the next one. So they're constantly moving. And when, when the MAs at the office that don't work for us, but they work in the office, they see our workflow. They're like, what do you guys actually do all day? Because they all only see yes. like one patient a day. Yeah. And they, they get curious. They've already asked me, like, what are you guys doing? They don't understand the, like all the paperwork, regulatory, even on days that there is no patients. Yeah. You know, you have to do training, regulatory. Yeah. They don't understand. So I don't, I've never been an MA, so I don't know how to like, explain it to them like what we're actually doing or even who would make a good fit but i would see like the majority of them probably would not make a good fit because they're used to that 
just same routine over and yes. over again. Some of them even said, I like that we see so many patients. I wouldn't like just one yeah. patient a day. I see. Um, so <laughs> I have worked in that setting. We uh, Care Access does sometimes rent out from clinics that are already established. It makes it easier for us to recruit. So we would come in and we would rent a room or an area and their staff are running behind us. And we're kind of just sitting there trying to build our pipeline, bring our trials, so forth. I think there's a difference between MAs and that's where I struggle the most. Um, there's a medical administrator part of being an MA and there's also the medical clinician MA, the one that's mm -hmm. hands-on, very involved. But as MAs, like I started as a medical administrator where I did a lot of administrative work. I did credentialing for a podiatry office. Ah, I, I you know, so that prepared me to like the stagnant part of research because it mm. gets really down sometimes and no, no one understands that. It's like, what are you doing? Well, I'm creating sources. I'm making sure these patients are going to get paid. Or even if I don't have a patient, I'm reviewing every protocol that's out there because mm. there could be an amendment that a CRA can forget to send you. It does happen. So it's sort of, we're always like preparing uh, versus, versus when you're a medical, I did not enjoy when I saw 30 patients a day. Oh, you didn't back. like that? No, so you I did think not. Like the, so there is something there then that I'm discovering through my interactions with them. And you're basically confirming the same thing. There is, there is a type of MA who does, and I didn't know like some do administrate, but it makes sense because now I'm thinking at yes. the clinic I work at and yeah, there are two MAs that they can do MA stuff, but they actually work in the back end, like on the admin side. Yes. Yeah. So those, I think those would have a better understanding of what research actually does, but it depends on what, mm. um, what department you put them like honestly as the both times that are not the both times two jobs that I had that I was a CRA uh, I'm CRC I did a lot of it I did the blood work I did the lab I also did recruitment I did regulatory we Everything. didn't have different departments <laughs> yeah. yes so it was a bit overwhelming that's when when care came to me on LinkedIn actually my first job on LinkedIn that I got they had different departments. They said, you will have uh, e-regulatory staff. You won't create your own source, you know? So it takes away. So you got, you got overwhelmed at the, when you were a CRC for doing basically 40 things that a coordinator does. It can be, it can be, I wouldn't say it was overwhelming. I was learning a lot and it's what prepared me to grow faster. Mm. It's just, um, it is important to have a regulatory department or a regulatory CRC. Did you have um, help or were you just basically forced to figure everything out? A bit of both. When I started um, the SADIC dermatology, there was a bit of uh, some people were leaving as I was joining. So yeah. I, <laughs> I had to take on some trials that prepared me. I did a lot of cleanup. I did a lot of QC. I was unaware what QC was. Mm. Um, and I learned that along the way. Uh, and then quality I was control, able to... Quality control, guys, if you're watching. There you go. <laughs> yes, quality control. Uh, I was able to actually grow with the manager. We started hiring medical assistants. Actually, as soon as I was asking you, I said, we should hire medical assistants. They can adapt to this kind of um, confusion very quickly. Um, were you selective about which ones you were hiring though? 
like were you going just for the admin ones or the the clinic ones got a chance to Um, clinics once got a chance too, because I was the only one that was able to draw blood out, you know, so ah I needed to have that. A lot of coordinators don't draw blood. I did not know that until yeah I was involved. yeah Yeah. yeah So I, because I was a certified medical assistant, I was a phlebotomist that came you use with the my butterflies course. So or the straight straight stick <laughs> straight sticks, because they're better. They're better yeah for the tubes. I know that we like the butterflies, but the straight sticks are going to get you without bringing your patient back. And that keeps you. That gives you a better retention if you're not bringing them back every three days. What do you mean, bring it back? If you get the blood wrong, if the tube doesn't get Ah, filled right, uh, then I see. the lab's I like, see. we can't do this test. We can't do that. And you're wondering what what went wrong. Sometimes it's because you use the butterfly Mm -hmm. when you're supposed to use the straight needle. I gotcha. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We that's you know, drawing blood is like you're right. Mo uh, most coordinator, I would say on LinkedIn, like most coordinators don't draw blood. At my sites, two out of the three do, and then one of them's learning from the other two. MAs Yeah. how to do it like the one with the bachelor's degree that's going to be a physical therapist she's the one that doesn't know how to do it but Yeah. she's learning she practiced on me it's on YouTube actually and then she practiced Yeah. on other people we'll eventually have her start doing it on patients uh, Yes, but she's I not ready yet but you do going back to that question, I wanted to add some more. I think you need a mixed bag. You need the admin because they're used to they're gonna save you in regulatory, they're gonna save you from something. Uh, but your clinicians are also going to be able to deal with your patients. They're comfortable speaking to a patient. And that's what's going to get you that consent signed and understood. Yes, and we didn't even, well, you talked a little bit about recruitment, but that's really where a lot of sites end up struggling is Yes. getting patients. You know, that's kind of where we're at now. We've got a bunch of studies. So we're connected to a large private practice, so some of the studies are easy to enroll, but others, Yes. the, the inclusion criteria is so stringent that the, the patients from the private practice are not good because they're They're cared for too well. Like their lab values are too good for the study. We need like people that are kind of un uncontrolled uh, with these symptoms. Yes. And so we need to start recruiting in the community. So that's another CRC skill that in the CRC Academy we teach, but I think it's also important for at least one of your CRCs on staff to be good at. Yes, you definitely need, I know that we brought on a department and I was part of that growth with Care Access is patient educators, community, community educators. Um, they have a background. Some of them are medical assistants. Some of them, I think some of them work like in sales, like, like T-Mobile, for instance, they weren't at a high level, but they know customer service. So there's a bag of that you need to have. You need to understand the protocol you're telling a community about, essentially. You don't want to walk in and just, do a sales pitch, but they need comfortability with customer service. So I think that would benefit when you have these trials. And also there, you know, I don't know if you know about these benefits, but some sponsors can provide you a recruiter, you know. Uh, yes, yes, I'm going to talk to some of them later today at the clinic about um, either recruitment, like as far as a dedicated recruiter or just running some ads in the newspaper. When you're in a smaller Yeah. town, it works. That works well in Manhattan, probably not so well. Um, No, we don't use the newspaper. We never <laughs> send money in the newspaper because here it's the newspaper not something is that big. works. The newspaper, So where? I'm coming from uh, Orange County, where... The newspaper Oh, you're didn't in California. work, but here in Yuma, Arizona, 
newspaper works um, for ads because there's only one. And a lot of people read it. Um, okay, Carrie, linked to her LinkedIn is underneath the video and in the show notes. As we wrap up, what is your goals going forward? Also, we have to have you on Latinos in Clinica Research. It is open to all ethnicities, but you are a Latina. We didn't even talk yes. about yes. underrepresentation. <laughs> I think we need to talk about that like on its own. Um, yes, I think so. I think that would be, um, that's one of my goals, actually. I've been following you for a while. Um, some of the comments that you were putting and tips that you were putting as a CRC helped me a lot when I became a first CRC. Uh, so I did want to share that. So I finally, like said this year, I was nervous to be on a podcast. So I figured, let me try my shot. And you gave me a chance. So I, one of the goals is for us to speak about the lack of Hispanics in clinical research and to share my knowledge on the barriers and tips to get them through the door, just to get them through the door, <laughs> you know, and then how to yeah. actually get them to consent where it works for them. So I think um, that's one of my goals. And then my second goal, uh, it's a seven year plan, but I do want to do research consulting. So I've, I've dabbled between that. I've met with some PIs where I help them, you know, just review the protocol and tell them what they need, what staff would work best for them and what, what would work for them. Uh, good. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you what's your long range goals in this industry. So yeah. I think there's a huge need there. Um, yeah. And we got to get you on Latinos in Clinica research. That's, you know, in most metro areas and even in some of the underserved places like where I'm at along, especially along the border, MA, you shouldn't have underrepresentation in studies from patients when the majority of the MAs and CNAs are Latina, like exactly, I yeah. mean, I'm assuming Manhattan similar. Manhattan is what you call a melting pot, um, to say the least. Mm. So yes, uh, I did not have a lot of constriction there, but once I transitioned to Care Access, because we're um, we're global in a sense, but we also have a lot of sites in the United States. There were different sites that I would talk to as a CTM. They say, I cannot enroll in a Casper, Wyoming, this diverse trial. Like Casper, Wyoming is very isolated. I can barely get, you know, a, a Caucasian to come in. Um, and she's like, you know, and it's a small site. So when you have small sites, when I can only afford to have two CRCs mm -hmm. or maybe just one, mm -hmm. I can't afford to pay both. of because we're only seeing one patient, let's say every six months. So then what do we do then, right? How do we get these um if they're seeing one patient every six months? <laughs> it depends on the trial. So I've overseen gastroenterology. I thought it would be a walk in the park. It is not easy to get gastro patients to switch over to a clinical trial. <laughs> yeah, <a lot laughs> we can of talk studies, about that. Yeah, a lot of these studies are getting more complex too. But one yes. every six months, we're very slow. <laughs> <laughs> that's a win getting someone in that's a win because wow. they have to go through so much like you know i'll give you an example like having someone with crohn's something's already working for them whatever they're doing it's kind of working yes and now yes. i'm gonna tell them yeah you have crohn's now let's switch to something that you might be placebo or non-placebo mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. yeah it's i can see that yeah we have studies like that too um yeah there's that's very important thank you carrie i appreciate it there's so much more to discuss um so we'll do latinos and clinker research and then we'll discuss patient recruitment as well um everybody who wants to connect you should connect go follow 
the LinkedIn profile in the show notes. And I really appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. I think you're a good example of like what an MA combined with education, advanced education can accomplish in this industry, which is a whole lot in a relatively short period of time. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Everybody like, subscribe, comment, share. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.